Welcome to the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest. My name is Sam Clements, and this is the podcast that celebrates films of a 90 minute or less runtime. In each episode, a guest will select a film and join me to add to our ongoing fictional film festival. Today, we're joined by brothers Jeremy and Dan Eden, the hosts of the 90 Under 90 podcast, a podcast that celebrates films of a 90 minute or less runtime. Hello, Jeremy. Hello. Hello, Dan. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, thanks for dialing in from the States today. Uh, I must say, what a great idea for a, for a show. Isn't it, though? I, I got to say that it's, I, I, it's, uh, it's unlike anything else that exists in the world uh if i don't not to toot our own horn here um but yeah it's just a it's an incredibly unique idea that uh literally no one else has ever come up with and uh no it's by sheer coincidence that 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 we we share a theme we're sister podcasts is what we are we're family is what we I, are I, I like to think of us as cousin podcasts because you know that's a like, little more distant jerry <laughs> why <laughs> only because like you know if you're raised under the same roof you're going to have the same kind of energy for the most mm. part and yeah and you guys have a very different flavor so it's like like when you go over to your family's houses and you visit your cousins and you're like oh this is fun it's nice to hang out with them but then you're like wait what do they eat for dinner that's kind of weird like it's just a little different that's all i'm not saying that you that you have a weird show in any way that's a this is a bad this metaphor is falling (laughs) apart as i'm speaking i love it the hole is getting deeper um yeah uh, I guess, yeah, you know, we're sort of just in the occupying that same niche uh, area of like the film podcast. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting. And yeah, like I've listened to a handful of your uh, of your episodes and uh, I, I like the way your format, you know, and it's very different from what we do. So it's like there's I don't room. feel like it's uh, there's yeah, there's there's is no competition, no, uh, no uh, ill will or anything like that. I'm happy. We're happy to be here crossing over. You know, we did. We did not invent talking about movies, you know, so we, we can never. <laughs> you didn't. Uh, what? <laughs> I can never, never. Hold a lot of people think we else. do. That is a mistake. When we started the uh, 90 Minutes or Less pods, um, I think it took me until we did like four episodes to actually check if anyone else uh, had a show about 90 Minutes movies. Uh, so when I saw your show, I was like, oh, my God, have we stole someone's idea? But I think the formats are like different enough for mm-hmm. these to live side by side but i had a Agreed. moment where i was like oh my god do we have to completely like burn this to the ground that's uh, <laughs> that happens a lot you know we started out writing for theater you know we're always writing sketches like well did mad tv or snl or, or sctv or any of these human giant even to lesser known did any of these guys do this before us that's always a fear uh, of ours like, as far as i can remember another thing about your show is that the uh selection of titles that you've chosen there's been a handful that we've both covered you know on both shows but for the most part there's a, a more than uh half that we have not even touched that you've uh covered and so you know like your your choices are just we have a very very odd uh selection of titles you know that range from terrible movies to uh you know but for the most part they're all pretty like mainstream hollywood movies and it seems like you've got some more uh niche movies in there you know uh, it is always nice when i see that you've covered something um that i can i can you know, just sort of 
you get me going on on research over here. But I don't have anything to do with the films that are chosen on on the show. I've I've not picked a single under ninety minute film on, on our format. It's always the guest uh, oh, brings brings the uh, the films to the table. So it's it is really nice when there is a crossover. But I can't take any credit for that. That that might be whoever's picked that movie that week. And likewise, if it's a more obscure movie, um, which we've had a few, <laughs> um, then again, I can't take any credit for that either. That's uh, that's that's again down to the guest. I got a question for you, Sam. How many of your guests come and, you know, they always bring their titles. How many of them hate the title and just want to bash it? And how many of them love the title and want to praise it? it they're usually pretty positive because the the conceit is they're bringing it to show a movie theater at a film festival, maybe. Um, so it's something they want to share with people. But we have had people who've maybe chosen something because they loved it as a kid. And then on rewatching it as an adult, maybe it doesn't quite hold up. And they, <laughs> you know, before they picked it, they hadn't done that crucial rewatch. Uh, that's always, always quite fun fun or i guess that's as close as we get for people like maybe questioning their choice yours is a more a positive experience from the heart it seems and some that we throw movies against the guest's will and it can be sometimes funny and other times it's just a nightmare yeah <laughs> you know? for, for everyone but especially for them when they don't like the movie I have it where a guest is very passionate about it, but I might be like, "Oh, they've they picked that one." Oh, yeah, <laughs> watch that. But um, again, it's, it's asking them why they like it, not why I don't like it. Right. And then there's, of course, the experience of just like, "Oh, I am not going to like this. This is going to be awful." And then you're like, "Oh, this wasn't as bad as I was expecting." I've had that more often than I expect too. How do you select what's coming up on the show? I have a master list that's got probably, I mean, no exaggeration, at least 200 movies on there. And that's not including the ones that the guests have already set aside for themselves. I'm the kind of person who likes to tie things to like, oh, it's a holiday coming up. So we'll do a movie, you know, like it's not out of the ordinary to do that for Christmas or Halloween. But, you know, like I, I'm also the type of person who's like, oh, St. Patrick's Day is coming up. So let's do something as Irish as we can. Like, <laughs> Irish movie we can find. <laughs> Everything's on theme. I noticed that is a that's a Jer thing. A lot of themes going on. And then with this particular season, it's A to Z for the first run. So those first twenty six titles, and then I think after that we're we're ditching that. Well, after that, it's you know we'll have some some random titles, and then in September we started this tradition a couple years ago where we let our listeners select. Uh, what we do for the month of September. So we call that request timber. That's right. Everybody yeah. sends us their uh, feedback on social media. So they get to pick the titles if we haven't done them yet. And then uh, all month of October, we try to do Halloween or horror themed movies. And then, yeah, we usually take a break right before Thanksgiving. Cause that's right about 45 weeks. And then, yeah, we do a Christmas, a Christmas bonus episode. I was going to say, honestly, there are so many horror movies that are 90 and under that you can do a horror 90 minute and under podcast easily. There are just so many horror and, and family animated movies could be yeah. like, you know, they're, they're, the two of them could each be That's their a own good podcast. Like yeah. today we're going to be talking about five and then we're going to be talking about nightmare on Elm street. You know, when we started, I was like, well, if nobody can think of a film, they'll obviously just choose a Disney film, like any of the Disney films. Yeah. Right. And everybody knows them, but we've had like surprisingly few, We've had a few, but I, I thought we'd have way more because it's such an easy pick. But um, yeah. I'm, I'm sort of impressed. You know, a lot of our guests have gone out of their way to to, to research. <laughs> uh, but we have had mm -hmm. a fair few horror films, I must admit. If, if we didn't badly need the break by, you know, by the 45 week mark, by, by then we're usually like, all right, we need to take like a good yeah. month off of doing mm -hmm. the show. 
But uh, yeah, there was a point where I considered just having December just be December, and it was just going to be Disney movies all month long. But <laughs> once again, I, another theme. <laughs> I, I'm branding, man. I'm marketing. Yeah, I, I know. Keep... You you got that mindset. It's uh, it's it's very 2022. Outside of the podcast, because it's definitely been something I think about a lot. When you're in civilian mode, does a film's runtime, say, of a new release or or something at the movie mm. theater or you know, looking through Netflix or whatever, does it influence like all of your film watching because you're often in this headspace for making the show? It's a good question because now like me and Jared, we're like, Jared's a huge, Jared's like the biggest Batman fan I know, like, and, and just out of a lot of people. And, I'm, and we're like bitching about the three hour runtime of the new Batman. I feel like watching the, the podcast might have some effect on that. Like now, what do you think, Jared? I think you just start to realize when a movie does and does not need to be as mm -hmm. long as it is, you know, like there, are, I have no problem with the long movie if everything is justified and or entertaining at the same time. And then there's times where it's just like this runtime, like is a slog and it's really hard for me to get through yeah. this whole chunk of the movie because it ultimately doesn't mean anything. And that's like kind of a pitfall of modern blockbusters is there's a lot of times a middle piece that doesn't really need to be there, but because it's a blockbuster movie, we have this idea in our head that it has to be two hours or more. Mm -hmm. Otherwise it's not as good. Yeah. And like, I think, I think, you know, I think there are, certain movies who are trying to like we were talking earlier venom let there be carnage is like an example of something that's pretty like lean yeah trying to give you an example of like it doesn't necessarily need to be as long and people are pleased with that so yeah. i think that there's you know i think it will come around where movies will start to get a little bit shorter again but i don't think that uh you know i, I certainly don't wish that every movie was under 90 minutes now because you know there's been plenty of movies that we've watched where we're like they definitely needed 10 more minutes just to under, so we could understand what happened. You know? <laughs> yeah. You reached out to us on, on, on Twitter. Um, we, we've had a nice uh, bit of back and forth on the DMs. Um, and, and you proposed uh, the film that we're going to talk about today. Can you reveal that title? That's right. Well, like you said earlier, a lot of people have ch chose their movies because it's something that means something to them. And I may be the first person who chose something strictly for a dad joke, bad, lame humor. Yeah, <laughs> uh, because, you know, by the time this episode drops, you know, it, it, your episode will have been released by then. But this we are doing two episodes today to peel back the curtain for the listeners a little bit. For your show, we are doing an American tale. And for those of you who want, you can, you know, go back and listen to 90 under 90 for <laughs> Sam joined us for the episode on Johnny English. So perfect uh, <laughs> cultural crossover. Just I mean, perfect. I think that's really peak humor, right? Like, I, I really think that that's just number one. It's insanely clever. Uh, number two. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it's hilarious. It's a great joke. When I read that on my texts, I I couldn't stop laughing. I just <laughs> laughing for now. hours. Yeah. But I just wanted to see how far I can make Dan's eyes roll. That's basically <laughs> what anyway, well in the show notes for this episode we'll have the Johnny English episode so you can uh, listen as a double bill as intended, uh yeah. listeners. But uh, I watched the films as a double bill, um, maybe not as not as intended, but it was a, that was a fun <laughs> way to spend a morning. It's actually like if you're into this kind of these kinds of movies, I think that it is a pretty good double bill, right? It's they're both pretty family friendly. They're both light. Uh, 
pretty they're both short yeah, uh, so shorter than the batman go. both of them back to back you can watch both of them and it'd be the batman's length you can go see the batman while your kids watch an american tale and johnny english back to back and they won't miss a beat From director Don Bluth and creator David Kirshner, this critically acclaimed full-length animated triumph chronicles the wide-eyed adventures of a courageous little mouse named Fievel. Journeying by ship from Russia to turn-of-the-century America, Fievel is lost at sea during a ferocious storm. Washing ashore in New York Harbor, Fievel braves the perils and wonders of a strange new world in a thrilling quest to find his family. I would swap out some adjectives. I wouldn't say it's a thrilling quest so much as a terrifying quest. Harrowing. Yeah. So many times now I watch a movie and I have to say, as a parent, this really like terrifies me. You know, (laughs) I'm never going to be on a ship with my child. Never. I'm never going to have to move to another country. I am terrified watching so much of this movie and it makes me like, I've always been sensitive to watching movies. Like I, you know, my mom was a crier at movies all the time. And therefore I learned to cry any time of like, anytime the movie is manipulating your heartstrings, my mother would cry. And I learned that and picked up on that. And so like, but this movie now tugs the heartstrings so much more than it probably would have as a child. Cause I'll be honest, this was like my first time consciously viewing this movie. I've seen this movie as a little kid and I knew I didn't like it. And I liked five goes West more. And so I never went back to this one. It's because there's a lot of to be then Don Bluth minds in this territory. That's what separates him from all the other great art animators, I think, or the like separates him, let's say, just enough from the extreme ones is that he does mine in that dark material and that he gets he does get away with it. But some, sometimes I do think back to when I was a little one and seeing those terrifying uh, uh, cats storm the village and uh, scoop up those mice and eat them. Pretty scary stuff. Yeah, I try to put myself in those shoes. This came out in the 80s, 1986. And weirdly, there were lots of like feature-length family animated mouse movies uh, around that time. Disney had Basil the Great Mouse Detective and The Rescuers and The Rescuers Down Under. And this sort of falls in in between this like phenomenon of uh, animated mice movies. But this one is so much darker. When you think about those Disney ones, you know, that's just like a jolly detective romp or, uh, you know, some rescuers are going down under to have a fun quest, uh, yeah, yeah. you know. And, and, and this is like, you know, it's a family escaping persecution from their homeland, sold this lie where there are no cats to get them in in new york (laughs) and then they find out there are cats and there's this sort of like civil rights movement between the mice and the cats uh, that they get embroiled in this is a kids movie right like it's like it's a it's a parallel for the jewish struggle or just the immigrant struggle to coming to america and they like and something else that you see in these movies is that the the animals always instinctively mirror whatever the humans are doing, even though it's never justified. They don't have an economic system. They don't need one, but somehow they have to mirror it because humans have it. They have commerce. And I find it really pathetic. Like, guys, carve your own path, you dumb animals. Why do you have to mirror a hotel just because you live in a hotel? You have to have a miniature miniature scaled down hotel in this hotel because you're in a hotel? Now, that's one of my favorite things about watching any animated mouse that go on one of these adventures is seeing the human objects that get used for mouse objects. A thimble for like some kind of like maybe a drinking glass, a big bucket or something. I love that. I, I live for that. And I say this movie didn't have enough of that, quite frankly. 
Mm. needed more. I just think like when you think of like the what is it? Is it the Bolsheviks who come and they storm the the village? Is that the the Russians? I don't know history, man. The cats mirror them. Like they dress up like them. They they mirror their personality. It's like cats. You don't need to be this evil. You can just go. No one's expecting you cats to do this. Like yeah. you can do anything you want in this world. I like how Dan's giving the fictitious cats and everybody more credit than simply like, no, it's just a very well, on the nose parallel. And like, I, you know, it's as simple as that. I find it pathetic that they have free will, but they mirror <laughs> the humans at every turn. Particularly when there is no commerce. Like you said, there, there should be no class system whatsoever. If they just made this uh, a human movie about Russian Im- immigrants who come to America, it would all still track the the cats would just be the human guys who are still human in the movie. Like you can remove the uh, the talking animal part and it would just exist as a harrowing immigrant story, you know? I would say that it's, it's very unwise for anyone to emigrate to another country based solely on the idea of whether or not they have cats. If we're, if we're going to get a little, little deeper with it, I think it's like, it's the same bullshit and I'm getting cynical here. It's that bullshit American dream that we're all sold on. That's the dream that they were sold on as mice is that there's no cat. You can make it in America. You can just pull yourself by the bootstraps. Also, there's no cats in America. Like yeah. <laughs> it's just bullshit. They, they've been yeah. fed a lie and they, he has to learn the hard way that there are cats in America. So it's a, it's a harrowing tale. An American tale. It's a good life lesson, you know, and it put Fivor it puts Fivor in a good place to then have a bunch of spin-off adventures. I just picture him in the sequel, like he now he's anti-America because he's learned there is no American dream. He's smoking cigarettes in a dark alley. He's just brooding most of the time now. And uh that's where Fivel goes. Fivel goes insane, is what the second one should have been called. He's had a pretty traumatic uh, experience uh, here. Both him and his family have this really traumatic experience, which the film centers around. Thank you. Equally traumatic for the family, but the father seems to be like, I've given up. I don't, I can't, you know, I have no hope whatsoever. And it's, it hurts me to watch him give up so easily. Even the daughter's like, come on, we could do this. And he's like, why do this? Why? I guess maybe they're realists, you know, they've, they've been through this. They know, like he falls off the boat he's gone but yeah his sister is like well maybe he's somehow made it (laughs) to new york i want to say it's not the bolsheviks it's the cossacks and the cat equivalents are the cat six (laughs) that that converge on the village yeah (laughs) so they they're just little pun little mirrors that's all they are punny little mirrors when you're putting together this world, if you like any any sort of parallel you can make to a real world thing. Sam, you got a cat. Like you you never notice when you're typing on the computer, you're actually doing work. Your cat wants to quote unquote do work with you, so he gets on the the keyboard. That's what's going on with these animals here. It's it's just they're taking it to an extreme. It's very true to life, Dan. I think you should appreciate the truth in this art. I just I just like I like originality. And, and if you have if you're born with any free will, don't mirror what other people are are doing around you if you have the opportunity to do something different and these animals are throwing that away yeah i mean i think it's for the it's for the adults really just be like here's the story everybody this is what it really because you always see the real humans first and then they pan over to like look at the little versions 
And I think that's what infuriates me the most about seeing the parts, <laughs> <laughs> seeing the humans and then panning or, or scaling back and look, they're in the chandelier and they have in the rescuers in the case of that, they, they take one pea from the pea soup and they make a whole soup out of that. And they're in the chandelier with their own restaurant. But- should mice not be allowed to dine and have that going out experience, you know? Like, yes. In the Disney movies, in The Great Mouse Detective, Sherlock Holmes, the human, lives above um, Basil. And Basil yeah. has a detective business below 21B Baker Street. And, and in this, there's um, the, the, the Mouskovitz family have a tailoring business, it looks like, or, or some sort of fabric business, which is in based in like a bag inside... <laughs> Uh, a, a larger sewing establishment. So by that logic, you can just assume just everywhere you go that, oh, I'm in a liquor store. There means there's a tiny liquor store in here run by mice. Uh, if I go into the subway, there's going to be a tiny subway sandwich shop run by little cockroaches. You know? Do you not want to live in that world? I want no. to live in that world. <laughs> right now, you know what I want to do? I want to have so much money that I'm going to build a new house and inside every room is going to be a tiny little mouse version of the same room that I can look at <laughs> to a hole and I can see a little fake mouse living its life. America, what a place. What a place. place. In America, there are mouse holes in every wall. Who says? Everyone. In America, there are breadcrumbs on every floor. You're talking nonsense. In America, you can say anything you want, but most important, and this I know for a fact, in America, there are no Had you seen this film before? Was this one of your sort of childhood movies? I think you mentioned uh, just when we were talking then, but uh, is this something that resonated with you um, and and, and you still have memories of watching as as a kid? Big time for me. And this is kind of weird and little very telling and psychological. So here we go. When I was a kid, we all have, you remember, like you convince yourself you have an imaginary friend. I haven't seen this movie since I was a wee lad, okay? So this all came streaming back to me as soon as Tony came into the movie. And I'll tell you why, because I had an imaginary friend. His name was Tony. He had that same kind of like Bronx attitude that he had in this movie. And the reason I liked him so much is because he was a romantic who had like, by this, in this context, uh, what appears to be in context, an attractive redhead girlfriend. So I envied this guy. And it all came flooding back to me in this viewing. That's like, holy shit! There's that's why that's where Tony comes from in my mind as a child. Blast from the past. Tony's back. <laughs> yes, Tony came back in a big way when I watched this. And now when I watch, I'm like, I hate this character. I like he is he's annoying. It's just it's just like Drop Dead Fred. But maybe Tony will help you get over <laughs> some trauma in your life. Maybe. I also have no I, I mean, I, I have no conscious memory. I Like I said, I saw this as a kid and I must have turned my back on it. The song, though, because, Jer, right? Is that the only thing? Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I remember that song, but because I remember the version that was on the radio all the time, not the version of <laughs> yes. the high-pitched mouse voice. The duet singing. version. I remember. Somewhere <laughs> yeah. Out there. So you, yeah, it, did it come flooding? It came flooding back to you, right? During this viewing? Like a lot of, maybe not imaginary friends. No, I mean, I remembered the song like even before the movie, you know, because just culturally speaking, I remembered uh, this song, that song being in this movie. I didn't remember the scene. And to be honest with you, I thought that the sister sang the song completely. Like, I don't remember Fival being a part of that song. So that was weird to see that when it came up. 
Yeah, that turns into a music video, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it does. I, no, yeah, my memory of it was it was strictly the sister, like singing, like missing her brother, and like that's why. It, and and I don't even remember. I was like, oh, this was like, of course, the big Oscar song, and like I don't even know if it got nominated for an Oscar. I know it won a Grammy, but who who could know? There's no way of knowing. This came out slightly before Disney was sort of really doubled down on the, the musicals, which a lot of us would have remembered from the late 80s, early 90s. But it's only got like, it's a bit, it feels a bit half-hearted, like there's four songs in this film. <laughs> is that enough to warrant it as a musical? Is it a film with some songs in? It's an EP. It's an animated EP. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be fair, though, like Aladdin only has six songs in it, too, I think. Is that you right? Know? Like, there's. Yeah, it's there's really not that many All songs in, world, in it because at a certain friend like me one jump ahead of the and then you got um <laughs> there's that's it that's all I know it's <laughs> yeah. Ali. Ali yeah I think those songs kind of stop after that don't they yeah you're right and then you're there's right. like there's, and then there's like a Jafar does the reprise he raps right like, yo my name yeah. is Jafar yeah, and I'm here to say it's fun to be Jafar <laughs> in a Jafar way right. Yep, he does that. Those are the exact lyrics that Alan Menken and uh, and, and then the uh, parrot comes in, Yago. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, I remember three of the songs really well. Totally forgot that Christopher Plummer voices a French owl and also has a song. I erased that from my my uh, my brain. Well, and uh, Madeline Kahn is she the she's the stuffy like um, the acolyte with the big uh, the big butt and the weird way of speaking. Like the speech impediment. The, the Barbara Walter, the the Baba yeah. Walters uh, speech impediment. Yeah. But yeah, Christopher Plummer, I saw that. I was like, okay, he's in this. <laughs> Interesting. Cool. Interesting. And of course, Dom DeLuise is in it. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, oh, you can't keep him away from a Don Bluth. Yeah, um, no. He lives in Don Bluth's basement. He's just like, he's like, oh, Donnie, when are we going to do another film so I can move out of here? <laughs> That's a bit. I've never tried a Tom DeLuise. Don't forget really... to throw in a. <laughs> in I can't too. do that anymore, man. My, I'll I'll pass out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> have you covered um, any Don Bluth show uh, films on on? Have we? We have. Uh, we know Don oh, Bluth personally. That's right. Yeah, one of the first movies that we did was The Secret of Nim, and we were talking about Don Bluth, and for for whatever some we... reason. <laughs> There's a started certain, there's a handful like, of there's a handful of celebrities, directors, or people who have become completely different characters in our show than they are that's in the, reality. That's the bit is that they don't sound anything <laughs> like who they are in real life. We suspect. And Don Blue suddenly were like, because we noticed like there was like we're trying to make a bit like that there's sexual unneeded sexuality and secret of member. Like that's what Don Bluth is all about, the sexuality. <laughs> <laughs> He's always he's just, just like, like clamoring a for more. Dog, just <laughs> sexuality. Yeah, he's just like what I wanted to put was just strap it to the bed, you know. And then we ran that bit into the ground, <laughs> and and now it's not funny anymore. And every now and then, because we still do Don Bluth movies, we have to bring up the Don Bluth voice, and people are like, yeah. all right. We get it, dudes. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> At least it's, that's what I suspect. It's time for some new characters because Don Bluth <laughs> needs to rest for a while. Yeah, <laughs> I'm able to say that. But yeah, we covered uh, we covered The Secret of Nim. And then we've also covered uh, All Dogs Go to Heaven. That's right. Both dark films. Dark, really, really. Like, yeah. per- very adult themed <laughs> yeah. movies for, for kids, you know, films. And they fit perfectly within his filmography. That's the thing. He's a very consistent animated filmmaking animating animation filmmaking at least to a point i don't know what it's like when we get to like 
didn't he do like a troll in Central Park? The 80s were good for him and the 90s were not good for a him. consistent yeah, over <laughs> until up to a point. Yeah. I don't know what the quality or the adult uh, themed content was going past All Dogs Go to Heaven. That's kind of where I dropped off. He sort of moved into video games in the 90s. And, That's and right. Because it was the 90s, like they weren't very good. <laughs> like, they weren't very good looking video games when you looked them up now. Dragon Quest? Right? Was that the one? It was like a, it was like a choose your own adventure type game, two yeah. D Dragon Quest, I think it was called. That's the one. And they keep threatening to make a movie of it, or or maybe they have. <laughs> like I think there's a Netflix had picked up something to do with the property. That's right. Yeah. Nobody watched that. I, or did they even make it? Because he's still sort of hovering around. I think he's written an autobiography lately. Wait, Jer, Jer actually reached out to him oh, <laughs> to, wow. to speak to us. We've had uh, we've had a handful of uh, directors that we've had the pleasure of interviewing uh, recently because I've I've you know been on the uh, on my efforts to actually get some uh, you know Hollywood themed themed Hollywood guests on uh, for our new Nine Questions with series. And yeah, in a, in a day where I was just like, I'm going to reach out to the, the most unlikely uh, group of people I can. <laughs> Don Bluth was one of the people that I reached out to that day. Did you hear back? No, I heard nothing. Nah. <laughs> Not from him. Not yet. Only made under 90 minute films. There's still time. Hey, balls in your court, Don Bluth, if you're, and I know yeah. you're listening. We have had a guest on the show who was taught by Don Bluth. Because um, really? he runs an animation school in Ireland now. So a lot of people currently working in, you know, like the animation biz have you know like they, they would seek out this prestigious uh, school and, and they would be taught by don bluth so that's great um, maybe you guys need to enroll into the class yes <laughs> i would love i would love that because i'm getting into animation you know um i need to I would enroll pay to... the tuition mm -hmm. get him to do our show and then drop out and yeah. somehow get as much money back as i could my name's tiger what's yours five five four mouse wits. oh dear listen I like my... F oh, no. Not like that. I mean, I don't eat red meat at all. <laughs> I'm a vegetarian. That's right. Oh, a little fish now and then. But what I really like is some nice shh, broccoli. <laughs> you know, I thought our cats were supposed to be mean. Mean? Uh, I am mean. Ben and... Uh, what's the use? The middle part of the movie really is what um, I'm, I'm a little fuzzy on. He meets Tony. There's a lot of struggle back and forth between trying to find the, the family. There's a part where he hears violins in the sewer. So he follows that and he thinks like five will take a drink every time he says, Papa, Papa, <laughs> like throughout this whole freaking movie and you will get wasted by like minute 20. But he yeah. goes through the sewers thinking his dad's playing that. And that's when he meets uh, Dom DeLuise. And it's like a underground casino. And there's drinking and gambling. And he befriends the cats. And there's a lesson to be learned, I think, somewhere in this movie. And, and that's through befriending Dom DeLuise cat, you know? <laughs> through and, uh, trauma, you can find friendship in an unlikely alliance. Well, there, you can't generalize the oppressors, I think, maybe. Don't, uh, don't get racial that's, about it, you know? The, 
that would be the most uh, mature way of, <laughs> of handling the, the theme. So the middle is the series of misadventures where he knows that his dad plays a violin and he's somewhere in New York. So Fivel has to go into many establishments and homes. There's some fun fake outs where there's another kid called Fivel whose mother is calling him. He gets into a gramophone with like a wax cylinder. Uh, he does it all. All of the yeah, and, and and also you know ironically us the viewer are constantly shown that his parents are just around the corner or just below him or just above him. What's yeah. can we talk about? Yeah, <laughs> that, we, I want to say real, just real yeah, quick, yeah, that moment yeah, yeah. where somebody else was calling for their kid Fivel, like reminded me of that scene in The Simpsons where like the kid wants the Bort license plate. <laughs> My son is also named Bort. There's another Fivel in New York right now. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, Fivel was uh, Spielberg's grandfather's name. I think. Yeah. Yeah. That was a, the only trivia I read. But can we talk about? <laughs> Can we That's talk enough. about the the song "There Are No Cats in America," which I hate. I think it's like it, I hate schizophrenic songs like this, where it feels like it's two different songs from verse to chorus. But also, do you listen to like how dark it really is? There's like the the Italian mouse who talks about how I think his mom was eaten, or like then she went to go confront the 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 people the cats that ate her, and then she got eaten, and then they're like, it's "But a- in America, there's no cats." They start it's singing a- it's- again. It's a Don Bluth movie. So there needs to be some bloodshed and there needs to be some death. It's it's messed up. Yeah, there's it's really, really and not quite a parent dark. death, like a Disney movie. Yeah, 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 right. Like um, somebody needs to suffer tragically or like get like sick and die in a car like the girl and all dogs go to heaven. I know she doesn't die, but right. practically spoilers. I guess we could talk about the animation on a technical level. I always I've always appreciated the way this looks because he he blends that that painting those painting backdrops that look beautiful and then he has his characters always in the foreground and they just blend together so well but sometimes they stick out a lot like the part where they're at animal ellis island <laughs> the equivalent which is you know just down the ways from real ellis island five i think is walking in a line and you see in the background a family of mice but it's painted on so they're not moving at all like mm-hmm. it's almost like they're their wallpaper like that was the one that stuck out to me but usually I, I feel like that stuff is it just it's married really well in the in the movie yeah don blue he's got a you know quite a distinct it's uh visual style and it's it's a lot more like lived in and beat up whereas yes. other disney films you know they're just by being disney generally a bit sort of brighter and and, and more vibrant but I, and he packs so much into the frame like there's so many scenes of people above each other on top of each other foreground background sort of stuff and, and you've got the added fun of also seeing humans from time to time with real sized uh sort of items so uh, you do get a sense of like scale and just how scary to city probably is for Fivel. And and with every animator you have also, unless they're directly mimicking it, even then, because a pen stroke is so unique, uh, a set of physics that come with each movie or each studio, let's say. Um, a, mo- a character moves differently than a character than a cat might in a Disney movie. And uh, the physics, uh, you look at a scene where um, I think it's a cat, he runs up a pipe and he gets stuck and you see the indentations in the pipe. You see him kind of uh, the, the the level of detail of that in the physics, you you can see that the Disney most likely would have handled this differently. And I like to now looking at just the little differences or potential little differences and keeping those in mind. You know, every studio has a style. He's quite expressive as well. Like we talked about in the somewhere out there song, like they they sort of play with this 
bringing the characters together even though they're, they're apart a bit like a music video and and in a, a duo um the cat sort of shrinks down to ma- uh, dom de Luisa's cat shrinks down to a a, a mouse size uh, so he could dance with five all uh that's just kind of that was just a weird sort of flourish and dom de Luisa's is like he's kind of talk singing he's yeah. like giddily like sing, like <laughs> like he, there's a delay in his vocals with the with the fivels he's just trying to keep up but it, like at least he's giving some effort you know you don't want you don't want dom de Louise reaching for any notes like no, just right. make it as it's easy probably as for the best that he's doing a vaudevillian kind of deal yeah. you know maybe that's why it's the last song in the film like dom really can't yeah. do anything else <laughs> After that, everyone's like, no more, enough. Back to the basement with you, Dom. Yeah, I'll see you, I'll see you for the next one. <laughs> Reading about the production with, with Spielberg and, and the studio, Universal, they, they did cut a lot of stuff out um, of this, which is why it's such a wonderful runtime. But it also feels like Fivel's quest is quite slight because he really like doesn't have to look too hard to find his family. <laughs> <laughs> it, they found him pretty conveniently considering it's a whole, you know, city <laughs> and they're so small. Again, as a parent, uh, <laughs> one day is enough. One day is too much for the kid to be alone by himself. I'm scared. I'm scared for him. Did you cry, Jer, when they were reunited at the end? Of course. I didn't cry. Are you kidding me? I cried. <laughs> it doesn't take much to make me cry. And yes, and I even I was sitting there next to Caitlin, and it was starting to happen. I was like, nope, nope, mm-mm, mm-mm, I can't, I can't, no, no. But yeah, a couple came out. Getting back to the movie, though, my favorite character, to be honest with you, like after this viewing was maybe like the sister, because the sister's the only one who's just like, no, let's keep looking, let's not give up. The parents kind of suck. Fievel is like an innocent, but like he doesn't, again, do anything to really like, you know, he's not really the hero in, in, in much of a he's way. Quite, he's quite kind of not, I'd say not passive, but like he's one note, just Papa, Papa. But going back, like the mom, she just says to the daughter very pretty quickly, like you need to, that those feelings will subside soon, yeah. dear. <laughs> like, just get that out of your mind. He's dead. Like, you didn't oh my have a God. You yeah. didn't have a <laughs> Never. Yeah, it's, it's a dark movie. As far as other blue titles go, I would say... What's the last one, one we did, Jer? The last one we did would have probably been... All Dogs? That's yeah. probably my favorite of the Bluth movies, I would say. Yeah. Dark sequences. Doesn't he like go to hell? I can't even remember. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Pretty crazy. Uh, dog hell. There's no dog hell in this, but I imagine there would be parallel to human hell and they'd be doing similar things. To it'd be, it'd be smaller and they'd have, you know, they'd be using half a fork as a pitchfork. It'd be great. An American tale is going to join the lineup at the 90 minutes or less film fest. It's going to play on the big screen. I can give you guys a copy of the film and then a blank check to put this film on Wherever you damn well like. It could be a, a favorite cinema uh, that means something to you. It could be a total you know, fantasy screening. We can make it thematic. Let's make it mouse-sized. Over to you. Where would you like to put on an American tale? Well, if you're funding this project, then I'm going to take this blank check and I'm going to build a brand new stadium-sized drive-in movie theater. And people are like going to be Like a monster truck? Like rallying yeah. for movies? <laughs> No, just like, just like, you know, like, I don't know, like 
Drive-in theaters are kind of dead. I went to one uh, a year ago, I think. Saw Mean Girls at the drive-in. I'm saying I, I, that's that's great. I, I wish I would have known there were a drive-in around. But yeah, if I can, if I'm gonna put this movie up anywhere, I just wanna I want to go to a drive-in. That's and I and I want to build the state-of-the-art drive-in because it's not my money. So why not? Why wouldn't I just take it and run with it? I'll split the profits with you. Hey, we need to start making some money on this festival because uh, we keep giving out these blank checks. It's great that you don't have to pay any licensing or anything. They basically pay you, so that way you can write these checks for these people. I think the movie should be either screened, projected onto the moon, so everybody can see it, but they have to pay tickets. They have to pay right. money, or they, otherwise they can't look at the moon. No, look at there, and their moon patrol comes out, and they like, yeah, smack yeah. you in the face and with their laser guns. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, they, they you turn into ash but the other thing is maybe uh speaking of projectors if we're keeping it on that projected onto the side of don blue's house and we do kind of like a backyard picnic but he's not invited and he's every now and then he like looks out the he window and everyone, it yeah and he gets mad because like he ruins the picture because he's like pulling back the yeah. white curtain don stop we're trying to watch and inside the projector is a bunch of centipedes screening uh, their remake of the movie, but it stars centipedes. Yes! And it's directed by Steven Centipielberg. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I love it even more. Great. That's it. How about you, Sam? Be happy to use this money to, uh, yeah, to uh, abuse the director. <laughs> to be dicks to Don Bluth. <laughs> no, I would not do that to him, but... Um, the moon sounds good. Yeah, no, God, they missed a trick with the recent Roland Emmerich film, Moonfall. They should have did a yeah. moon, moonside screening of that. Yeah, they should have put it on the moon. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. I'm glad that our our, our 90 minute film podcast could meet um, on the streets of New York, the mouse side streets <laughs> <Yeah>. of New York. <laughs> Where can listeners uh, find 90 Under 90 and and, uh, and follow you on social media? Uh, yeah, we are pretty much on uh, every platform you can, wherever you get podcasts, you should be able to find 90 Under 90. Make sure that you find the feed that is still producing episodes. I'm having trouble with Google right now. So if any of you listen through Google podcasts, you might have like an old feed that I can't seem to get rid of, but everywhere else should be safe. Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, any of those podcasts. Uh, we're also on Twitter at 90 under 90, Instagram at 90 under 90 and uh, facebook.com slash 90 under 90 podcast, I believe. I'm glad we got to have that pod meetup. Transatlantic, under 90 minute, um, the first meeting of the under 90 minute podcasts. <laughs> it's good to be here in New York. We're going to, now we're going to go over across the pond, so to speak, e together. <laughs> Because we're all physically here together right now, yes. also. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> That's good so, um, so yeah, we're we're recording these back to back with an episode of Ninety Under Ninety listeners. So check the show notes, and uh, you can hop over and and hear our next conversation. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Or, if you've got a mo, share an episode with your friends. Every recommendation helps. You can contact us on our website, 90minfilmfest.com, and on Twitter and Instagram, at 90minfilmfest. The podcast is produced by me, Sam Clements, and Louise Owen. It's edited by Louise Owen, with sound mixing and additional editing by Luke Smith. Our music is by Martin Ostwick, and our artwork is by Sam Gilby. We'll be back in a couple of weeks.
proud member of the Stripped Media Network.